now my main motivator is funny as it sounds, it makes me feel good. I don't feel right when I'm not active. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. I am your host, Dr. Weta L. Brown. I inspire and promote movement. I explain how running adds to life from a mental wholeness aspect. How obstacles can be overcome in life to make it to your finish line. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, episode 96. Today, I have Dr. Nina Cherie Franklin. She is a healthy living coach, globally recognized wellness expert, and the woman behind the blog and brand, That Salad Lady and That Salad Lady University. She uses her scientific knowledge her academic background, and her extensive experience in health, nutrition, and fitness. She inspires healthy living and eating through practical hands-on experiences and empowers long-lasting healthy lifestyles through change. She offers continuing education opportunities and lifelong learning opportunities. She has an extensive background in education, just PhD, a master's degree, several certifications. She is a commentator and regular contributor to scientific journals and media publications. She is also, like an honorary rattler, Florida A&M University is my undergraduate college. If you listen to my podcast, you know this. I went to college there. Our mascot is a rattler. So she's an honorary rattler because she is married to a rattler. So she's like family. So welcome, Dr. Nina Cherie Franklin to the show. Well, thanks for joining me today, Dr. Franklin. Thank you very much. I am glad to be here. I want to start with your formative years. Can you tell me, was fitness a big part of your life when you were growing up? Oh, gosh, yes. It became a big part of my life. I actually struggled with food addiction, and it ultimately led to me gaining weight, so an unhealthy amount of weight. So I was definitely an obese adolescent. And um, around the same time, my mother was diagnosed with diabetes. Mm -hmm. We used to actually just, both of us, we would eat for comfort. She was eating the Coke. She had just stopped smoking cigarettes. She had a lot of stuff going on, so she picked up food. And so we would eat together, but I kind of ended up going haywire with it, mm -hmm. with a food addiction. I was eating so much junk food and I was dreaming about food all day, all night. And I used to eat. I actually just wrote a blog about this, uh, just talking about my whole experience. So I gained a lot of weight, obviously. My mother didn't know about my eating habits outside of the eating we were doing. Mm -hmm. I went to 215 pounds and I was five, six and I was 12. And so she immediately noticed and it was just like, what is going on? So she took the initiative. She took the lead and she, I mean, she moved all the bad food out of the house. She got me a bike, introduced me to the gym. And that is when it all started. So I ultimately lost 65 pounds by the time I was 14, going on 15. And I was addicted, look hooked on the gym after that. And I especially loved group fitness classes. And when I turned 16, I ended up getting a job at that gym teaching group fitness classes. It just went up from there. I ended up going into college. I originally was a math major because I was a first generation college student and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. But I ultimately transferred into kinesiology and it's just been kinesiology and exercise science and nutrition ever since all the way up to my PhD. Okay. So at age 12, that was your transformation just from your personal experience? Yeah, age 12 was definitely the reality check. Like, oh my gosh, there's consequences. <laughs> there are consequences. And the interesting thing is it was not from a lack of moving because I am from a generation where we did move. 
So it was not from a lack of moving. It really was eating for me. Obviously, I was moving a lot. So I had to be eating a lot to gain that much weight, which I did. By the time I was 14, I'd say 15, I was at an early age hooked, (laughs) hooked on exercise. And that's when I also uh, developed a love for running, too. Okay. I guess it was insightful of your mother to realize that she had to help you. Because I know a lot, I think I suffer still from food addiction. I read your, I read your blog. Uh, it comes and goes because it's like food is everybody. Ha- I think everybody has some type of addiction, whether it be healthy or unhealthy, whether it be food or drinking or sex or whatever. So I know food is one of my, my little comforts when I'm going through stress in life. I, I gain weight. I can tell. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we all went through that. Everyone who thought they didn't have something or everyone who thought they weren't vulnerable. COVID taught us that everyone was a little vulnerable. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. How old were you when you started running? I was 15. I joined. I actually, it's interesting. I used to run for no reason. I just, uh, I was actually combining running with biking. So I used to bike, used to run. Biking is how I lost the weight. And then, well, between that and the gym, but I'd say biking more so. And you're from, um, you're in Chicago, so you already know. I used to bike to Navy Pier from Inglewood. I was going. But running, I picked up when I joined the track team. And it's funny, I used to start running more because track was like not necessarily long distance. And what I would do is keep running after school, before school. And after a while, my coach noticed and was like, you're not just running track. He was like, you interested in cross country? I was like, I don't want to run for competition. I just kind of like doing it. Ultimately, that led to me just running. And I love your podcast. I started running for therapy. (laughs) And it was actually one of the ways that I coped with that food addiction, too. I would start uh, when I had urges to eat, I would go for a run. I would dare say it was almost pathological by the time I was in college because it was like, you have to sleep. It's like, I'm going to go run again. (laughs) Okay. So you used to run multiple times a day? Oh, yes. Twice a day. Twice a day. And actually, it's interesting. Before I was pregnant with Ramsey, my oldest son, who's now 15, I was actually running. It was pathological. I'll tell you. I don't think I would recommend this. I had youth on my side, too. But I was running six to um, really is more like eight miles twice a day. Wow. Even when I wasn't training for something, I would just do that. So what races have you run? I've run Chicago marathons. Chicago half marathon was actually my favorite race. Okay. Those were the two races I stayed in the most. I've done endurance challenges. They have uh, the North Face Endurance Challenge. That was something that wasn't publicized. Actually, as a a blogger, I got kind of sponsored to do that one. That was pretty intense. They had a Biggest Loser Marathon uh, series that I started doing. Since I've been here, I've done Publix Marathons. I've done Alpharetta. They have like a women's marathon that they started in Alpharetta. So I did that first one. So I was actually, I got pregnant right after that one. it was complicated. So that was my last marathon with that one. They had an MLK marathon, which was really funny here because it was like 19 degrees. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's really cold for Georgia. And they had it anyway. So I, gosh, so I've run those marathons multiple times. Something that I have not done that I wanted to do was travel for marathons. I never quite made it. Okay. Okay. Doing that outside of just doing local Wisconsin and, you know, Michigan and that sort of thing. I, I didn't really venture out with running. So. So about how many marathons have you done, would you say? I can go upstairs and count the medals, but I would say probably about three dozen. Three dozen? Okay. Yes. (laughs) So you like the distance running. You didn't really like the the sprinting. You know what? It's so interesting because it's terrible, but the way I'm built, my coach used to always say, it just seems like you should be able to do more with that. (laughs) as far as speed Mm -hmm. and I hate it like every once in a while I would get thrown in like a four I hated 400 and I hated 300 so I was like this is just too fast for no reason (laughs) I think it's one of those things when you run for love that's just not where I compete I would end up competing with distance I'll give you an example when I was in Chicago I lived on near Museum of Science and Industry right not quite Hyde Park I was in Woodlawn but I used to get up and run a Navy Pier And I would just do it. There were some times where I wasn't registered for a marathon. It was really funny. I wasn't uh, registered for a half marathon. I had actually took some time off. And I ended up running the morning of the half marathon. And I was running with them. And didn't realize I was doing it. It ended up going to Navy Pier. But it's really funny because I guess my disdain 
for a non-distance running. Six miles, I don't consider a distance run. I consider that like a short run. Mm -hmm. I will not, will not do the road race here. There's a Peachtree road race, very popular race here. It's like six miles and I won't do it. Like, I don't want to do it. It's too short. <laughs> so are you still running or since you oh, had your youngest? That's another question. That's another question. My youngest just took everything away from me. Okay. <laughs> he took everything away. It was worth it. You know, he was very well worth it. When I was pregnant with him, I had a very complicated pregnancy journey. I don't know uh, if you read about it. I've written about it, but it was a journey. So basically it was complicated from the time it started. Okay. At that time I was running probably 40 miles a week and I was also teaching spinning. So I was teaching spinning classes and running. And right at the point that I found out I was pregnant, I ended up having a rare hemorrhage, a very rare hemorrhage. I was told it happens in 25% of pregnancies and 3% it's severe. And mine was severe. Okay. And from the time that started, my OBGYN knowing that I was an athlete, but also being an OBGYN, knowing my history, she says, she didn't say quite bed rest, but she says walking is like bed rest for you. And I need you to just really kind of just do that. And so, and I was actually registered for the public marathon. I thought I was pregnant in January and I had that hemorrhage in February and I was registered for the March public marathon. And so I was like, this doesn't mean I can't run the marathon. <laughs> and so when that happened, needless to say, I kind of went down. I was happy that I was pregnant everything was going on. And I knew that there was something bigger than me happening. So I had to kind of listen, but I felt it mentally. But I really felt it because out of the pregnancy, I had a cesarean, something I had never had. So that was another delay in me being able to get back in the groove. And then in the midst of this all, I finally started back running and it was painful only to find out that I had arthritis in my right knee. And so I'm running. I had to get a, a meniscus surgery as well. I was running on an injured knee for a while when I started. So I'm at the point now where I am running happy to get in 15 miles a week. Happy, but I am taking spinning class. Spinning is the new running. Okay. So you found your groove, even though it's not the same. You had to pivot a little bit. It took a lot. And I know you know what I'm talking about. Well, I know. It, I, I can't run at all right now. Yeah, I know. I know. That's why I said, I know you know what I'm talking about. And it was a hard pivot. And I think the interesting thing, I don't know if this happened to you, but I gained weight, even though I was working out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't stop it. And I wasn't eating like crazy. And I'm an exercise physiologist. I know better, but sometimes you don't think these things apply to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I was like, yeah, I know the science, but that doesn't, that's not me. And I often talk about the stages of change model, the pre-contemplation, contemplation. I went all the way back to a relapse. And I didn't know what was happening. And to be honest, I'm still kind of in it. I just found spinning does release a good amount of endorphins. That feels like running. And another decision I made was to not teach. Because when I teach, I feel like I get used to myself. Okay. And so the workout is not as hard because I know what's coming. The adrenaline is there, but it's different when someone throws something at you. You know what I mean? And I've taught since I was obviously, I mean, it's been over... 30 years of teaching. And it's just one of those things where I feel like, not quite, almost 30, geez, it has almost been 30. It's one of those things now where I feel like if I jump in other people's classes, and these girls have been working me out. Mm -hmm. So it's another form of therapy I'm picking up. Well, I'm glad you found a pivot and found something you can enjoy. So I think when I saw Woody at homecoming, he was like, yeah, she was telling me about your arthritis and that you can't really run like you used to. And Woody is Dr. Franklin's husband, just for listening. <laughs> we went to school together. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing how, and I actually was happy to talk to you because I was like, how is she doing it? Because I've been traveling. I know how much you were doing. I never quite got into the triathlons. I'm not good in water like that, but I know what it's like to go, go, go. And I was like that with running and it was hard. I even tried to ride my bike again to pick up that love. But these hills in Georgia don't like me. The hills in Georgia are crazy. You know, I like riding down there. They're crazy. It's funny you should say that because 
I feel like when I moved here, I really, like my running conditioning was huge because I was still doing distance running on these hills now. And I think the issue is that kind of triggered, or I guess I want to say turn my arthritis on, is when I did that after being deconditioned. I went and jumped on those hills again. And I was like, this feels like someone is stabbing me in my knee. <laughs> me not even knowing I have arthritis yet, but just trying to run on it and the extra weight. Because, oh gosh, with pregnancy, I gained so much weight. It was ridiculous. And because of change in lifestyle. So it and cravings, <laughs> a little bit of that too. <laughs> yes, I think that all played a role, but the pivot is nice. And I have really, really upped my intake. Uh, well, not that I wasn't doing it anyway, but I've upped the protein intake and I have upped the lifting of the weights. I actually, because we all need a goal and we need to be competitive, I've really been thinking about getting into more powerlifting and actually making it a competitive thing. I was there before, but I thought about jumping into that again because that's something that I've been able to wear my brace and have my knee take that sort of thing. So you just might see me get bigger in a different way. We'll see what happens. That would be good. You said you up your protein. How much protein do you take? Like, is it based on your weight? It depends, depending on what you're referencing. I'm 0.5 for my body weight. And so I generally take in anywhere between 70 and 85 grams. Okay, okay. But I, I've i upped it in creative ways, which is difficult to do sometimes when you're on a salad-centric diet. But that's one of the things that makes it fun. Yeah, I can understand this. Well, in January, I do this. Daniel fast, I don't eat meat. So it's kind of sometimes hard to get protein. It seems like it's more carb centric when you're really not eating a lot of meat. It is. You, that It's interesting you should say that because it's actually uh, something that's been requested of me in my videos because so I just started my YouTube video series. It's that Salad Lady University on YouTube. And one of the things that I've been talking to a lot is because of the brand most people who don't know the brand assume that it's a vegan brand, you know, that I'm vegan or all, I'm, I'm a plant forward diet, but definitely I eat all whole food groups. But usually because I also introduce a lot of plant-based proteins in my diet for variety, people kind of assume, oh, if they see you eating tofu, you must be vegan. I actually did follow a vegan diet for three years, not because of everyone else, because I actually experimented. I wanted to see what a real whole food vegan diet looks like, because I'm not sure how much you know, but you probably do. I would say a large percentage of people are junk food vegans and everything in a box that's not meat <laughs> they eat. But it's different being whole food vegan, where you actually, you cook, you make, you combine proteins and you eat natural proteins. So it's doable to get in proteins without meat. It's actually very fun when you experiment and there are ways to do it without going like carb overload. Okay. So you have a plethora of degrees and certifications. I do. What propelled you to continue on in your education and how did you fit it all in and keep active in the whole process with life and everything else? But sometimes when you get overwhelmed with work, sometimes people put their fitness out the door. Well, I will say one of the things that helped, this is where my empathy comes in. I would dare say that my entire scholastic career has been centered on activity. Okay. So it makes it easy to introduce it into your life when you're immersed in it. I always say I got in, introduced to avocado toast from classmates. Okay. 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 <laughs> you, know, <laughs> is, you know, back when I was getting my bachelor's degree before avocado toast was even popular. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those things I was immersed in it. I have to say this. I tell people this all the time. Youth is a great time to commit. I committed. It was something that I wasn't necessarily doing on purpose, but I did. So change is easy when you're younger. Adopting habits are easy when you're young. That's true. I say this to people as a coach. So because one, I adopted the habits young, but also, and this is a big one, Two, even though I lost weight, it was really not so much a matter of losing weight when I started mm -hmm. as it was with the fact that, yes, I was overweight, but my mother had diabetes. I lost my grandmother at 59. People were dying around me at 55 and 58. And the, I thought that that was natural death. Like, oh, we die at about 50 or 55. 
me now being this age, I'm like, what? They were dying? And so to be honest with you, my motivator was living. Weight loss was an outcome of the habits, but my motivator was living. And because it was living and I saw it happen at a young age, it's always been here. So even when I lose my motivation, I'm my own check. Something is you doing it again, and to be honest, journaling helps too because you start to see just different patterns in your behaviors. That's how I kind of kept on top of food addiction. It helps. Oh, you're doing it again. You always do this, and I really have to say that. So, committing to something bigger than just weight, which is what ninety percent of the people are committing to when they lose weight, committing to something bigger than that, and it's different for everybody. I always laugh because. Young in the game, when I used to personal train, that was like my first real job when I was 18. When I used to personal train, you know, I had a different mindset. No kids, no no life, no nothing. Just, again, in the fitness field, at a gym for work. So, of course, I'm going to work out. It's no big deal. And I would tell people, you know, just do it. You know, just do it. If it's important, you do it. And say all those dumb things you see on social media. I'm sorry. I know they're motivating people, but, you know, it's only an hour a day. Think about this or show me a picture of someone with no legs working out and say, see, what's your excuse? Everyone has their own really limitations and it's unique to everyone. True. One of my levels of empathy is realizing that this experience is unique for everyone. So sometimes you go and say, don't you want to be here for your kids? Someone says, well, I don't have any kids. Okay. You know, don't you want to grow up and be a grandmother? As a woman once told me, I don't even like my kids. I'm not doing this for my kids. <laughs> That's not how she's like, I don't even like my kids. They've been taking stuff away from me ever since they got here. <laughs> to be real with yourself. I always tell people, be real with yourself. Why do you want to do this? And you know what? If you end up wanting to do this because you want to be a sexy senior, well, that's the motivator. And if it works for you, that's fine. But that motivator, that point of motivation, I think it's not a thing of willpower or anything, but really having a motivator. And then when you reach whatever target, find another one. Because that's the only thing that will really keep you motivated to do this. That's it. And as far as your motivation in fitness, because that was your life. So you just wanted to be better in your craft as far as your different degrees and certifications. You know what? Okay, I'll be honest with you. The initial motivator was vanity. I just talked about everybody else. (laughs) The initial motivator was vanity. I used to lift heavy and run when we didn't do it. When people who look like you and I really didn't do it as much. Now it's big. It's popular. But I used to do it when people were like, oh, look at those muscles. What are you doing? You know, and I like that. (laughs) I'll be honest. I like that. I like being different. And, you know, I would I was back in the time where it would be like, oh, you got muscles like a man. Be like, yeah, I do. (laughs) And, you know, I kind of like that. I like the fact that I was running and other people didn't run outside of athletes at that time. They didn't really run like that. And that was a motivator then. Now, my main motivator is honestly, as funny as it sounds, it makes me feel good. I don't feel right when I'm not active. It's a drug. It is a drug. And I often say, yes, exercise is medicine. There's a whole kind of outreach advocacy around the fact that exercise is medicine, but it truly is a drug. And yes, a big part in relation to the certs I have, which are many, and the degrees, it is always wanting to experience what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. As crazy as it sounds, I've always study the stages of change and working with different people as both a trainer, an academic, and a coach. But I'm actually living that now. I am living the person who is doubting themselves or their abilities to do something. I'm living that. It's not an experience that I wanted, but I'm living it and I'm able to apply something that I've been talking about and really had no clue about personally. Mm -hmm. And what I find that it does is it helps me improve my life, but also the life of others, because there's more empathy. So when I am talking to people, I am really talking to people from all levels of experience. The new experience of going to the gym and having the personal trainers try to help me because I don't look the way I used to look, which is really funny. (laughs) I know. Do you like, do you know what you're doing? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
you know, I mean, when I say, so, and, and you want to hear something really funny and cool. I joined the gym in January, like everyone else. Mm-hmm. I have not paid for a gym membership since 1994. Wow. Okay. <laughs> because I've always worked in a gym or around a gym, even if it was just teaching spinning classes or teaching step classes. I've always worked in a gym. So I joined the gym like a regular person. And with me joining the gym that way, hence comes the, oh, you know, our trainers are certified and you should work with them. And part of me is like, maybe I should work with them just to see. And I was like, no, that's a waste of time. But every since, because I don't look like the Nina, I look like pre-Aubrey, my baby. I get this, let me show you how to lift it. Turn your feet like this. Hold on, I'm looking. Can I help you and show you something? And I'm like, wow. <laughs> hey, you know, we're certified and Bob wants to say, I know you're so I wrote the questions. <laughs> the questions that you're <laughs> that is interesting. Good job. <laughs> so a question. I read some of your articles. And I noticed a lot of your articles are a focus on African-American and forest weight management. Is that a primary focus of yours or just a part of your, or is we mainly focus on women or is it just all athletes? Are you talking about from the scientific articles or the kind of regular articles that go From out? your scientific articles and, and your other articles as well, because you have a, you have a plethora of everything. <laughs> yeah. So when I started in academia originally, and I should note that I'm out of academia now, I transitioned out. That was another source of stress. <laughs> yes, I, I chose happiness. <laughs> but uh, so, so definitely more on the advocacy side now and just that thing. But at the time I was in academia, this is interesting. I actually didn't set out to focus on any group or any gender. I didn't. But this is the interesting thing, and I I know we talk about it a lot now, but role models and representation. By nature of looking the way I look, I had recruitment of people who look like me. Okay. And recruitment of more women overall who didn't look like me necessarily, but because I was a woman. And at the time, it was so blatantly obvious that the IRB, the Institutional Review Board, flagged a study I had. Okay. Saying that, you know, it looked as if I was disproportionately recruiting Black women. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm actually not. They're flocking to this study mm-hmm. because they know that it is being run by a Black woman. Yeah. And there's a familiarity aspect to it. And they just want to participate and be a part of it. And so it's, that was a, content, a continuous challenge mm-hmm. in academia. And one of the reasons why, I mean, I would say I loved it, but I didn't because I really aspired to help all people because it's not just us, it's everybody. But by nature of it just being that way, I ended up flocking into that. And the reason I liked it when it happened is because at that time, again, I realized that a lot of us didn't do certain activities. We didn't participate in certain things. And I was actually opening up different ways for people to work out, specifically resistance training. So my studies were resistance training focused. And that's not something you see often for heart health. We were able to see trends and improvements in certain vascular markers. So markers of vascular health that impacted heart disease, so precursors that improved with resistance training with no cardio at all. Hmm, That's interesting. And so we saw that the improvements were the greatest in women. Hmm, Really? Hmm. And the greatest in women of color. Hmm, Interesting. I've written an article about this long, long time ago. It was a long time ago, probably like in 2012, where it was a study that said black women had a harder time losing weight. So this one, it got personal to be honest. So here's your answer. This one, it got personal. Okay. (laughs) It said black women had a harder time losing weight than white women. Immediately, I wanted to call out a few things. This article was in JAMA too. That's a big journal. So I was like, okay, now we're saying that. And one of the things, two things I noticed, one, body composition, it was not revealed. Okay. They didn't really talk about that from a metric like DEXA or Bipod or something that was really credible, right? That was one. 
Two, the method of cardio was walking. So you're saying that we all lose weight from the same stimulus. No. Yeah. Everybody's different. Yeah. Exactly. So this was a big one. And because I didn't have that marker that I wanted, there was nothing that could be said. Women, Black women, and I learned this early on in my uh, studies, which, to be honest with you, kinesiology itself is a historically racist field because everything is based off of white men. Because of that, a lot of the values we're getting to compare, the things aren't normalized for us. So how can you make assumptions? But what we do know is that Black people, not just Black women, people of color have denser bones, period, naturally. So much so that DEXA scans have to have a whole different sort of calculation to deal with us. Usually when we go and get a DEXA scan, we're off the charts in bone mineral density and that sort of thing. If this is the case and we have denser bones, leaner muscles, what do you think Black women are going to benefit from more from a standpoint of weight loss, giving that muscle is more metabolically active than fat? Mm-hmm. So even if you give me a stimulus that's improving my muscle mass and my bone density naturally, I'm probably going to burn more calories. But if that stimulus isn't there and you just have me walking, what good is that going to do? So do black women have a harder time losing weight or are you just not giving them the right stimulus to lose weight? That's true. And all this kind of talk that I'm doing here mm-hmm. is what would have got me booted out of academia anyway. Because no one wants to talk about that. That's true. Sensitive topic. So I'd say that it became more about helping women that look like me when I realized how skewed the science was. And you see probably a lot of frustrated women trying to lose weight and they're like you were saying before like not eating anything at all working out crazy and the scale is the same (laughs) because i'm a scientist i kind of think in methods all the time and dot connecting i see it i see it as clear as day but the research is just not there with us that way my mentors have told me over and over again this is why you needed to stay i tell you what A good old man at the NIH told me when I tried to study this, Mm -hmm. if it's not killing people, it's not making money. If it's not killing people, it's not being studied. So tell me this. Did COVID not teach us that we've been kicking the can too long? That it is killing people and it did kill people. You didn't see it, but it did kill people. It killed people. It killed people. A lot of people who didn't have to die with COVID. But really, it is so political in a research sector that you have to pick a fight. And one of my great mentors told me, you can do more outside than you can in, at least you, speaking of me. And she said that my impact would probably be greater if I left. And that is when I told her I was leaving. And she said, great, because I couldn't tell you. (laughs) I couldn't tell you But I'm so glad you are. In season six, I will continue this segment as the doc. If you have any questions or concerns related to muscular skeletal health, please email me at runningischeaperthantherapyolb at gmail.com. Send me a social media message via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or go to my website at www.weouilife.com. L-I-V-W-E-O-U-I-Love.com. Click on the prompt and leave a voice message. Select messages will be aired and answered. Tell me about that salad lady. <laughs> That's my baby. <laughs> <laughs> and how did so, it how did it start? Because I know you were blogging before and, and before and salad and it blew up. I like see you have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram and like eight thousand on Facebook. TikTok is like over 300. It's really funny. And many wouldn't even know that that strategy had nothing to do with social media at all. That just happened. Mm -hmm. That happened. As you said, I've worn a lot of hats. I've coached, which is what I was doing up most recently up to the point of that salad lady. But I work with corporate agencies a lot in wellness programs and design and outreach. Since I left academia, a lot of it has been outreach. Meanwhile, I have this hobby for salad making. 
that really started a long time ago. And interestingly enough, I wrote about this in my blog before it was even popular. I started eating one meal a day. Again, this was not even being talked about. But interestingly enough, I was at UIC where foundational research was being done on intermittent fasting. But that's another story. I ended up eating one meal a day kind of because I was wrapped up in my PhD studies and stuff. And what I started with the nutrition background, I started to say, I'm not eating enough. This is a problem. And I was like, I need to do something that gives me a whole lot of food in one meal. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start counting my nutrients and just throwing them in a bowl. Okay. And kid you not. So I would say, okay, I need something red, orange, yellow, green, throw it in a bowl. Okay. I need some nuts, fats, more fats, put in a bowl. Okay. I need some proteins, put in a bowl. And I started building these really big bowls. Eating one meal a day, getting really full off these bowls. Woody started doing it and he lost weight. I lost weight. We both started losing weight, but we were never hungry. And so I started doing it for other people. I just did these little fun seminars for people in the neighborhood. I was in PTA. I would do it for the PTA moms. And so I started making these salads and then they just started getting bigger and bigger. And then at some point it started being Put it like this. Someone say, you're going to have a party. You're going to bring a peach coffee. You're going to bring people will be like, I was under the impression that you were going to bring one of those salads. <laughs> right. So people started requesting, like if I made an apple cobble, they would say, well, where's the salad? And so it became so that kids started liking the salads. They would feed them to their kids. And the kids would say, are we going to that salad lady's house? <laughs> you know, I want to go to that salad lady's house. You know, she makes those salads. And that, I realized the kids were all calling me that salad. Okay, that's what her name <laughs> We're talking years ago, before I even thought about that salad lady. Fast forward, COVID hit. My photographer, who's taken my pictures for years, died from COVID. Oh, no. It was crazy. I know it sounds really cliche, but I had a moment. And I was like... Everything is happening. This whole journey with running was happening. All this change was happening. Mm -hmm. And I started building salad bowls again, just making them decorative and taking pictures of them and just kind of building them. Then I realized in spite of everything I was doing on social media, I would put these bowls up and they would be like all over the bowls. I don't have a recipe blog. This is what I ate last night. This is not a recipe. This is what I ate last night. Mm -hmm. I got a new photographer. I kid you not, this story could not be more true. I found a new photographer, wonderful lady. We're friends to this day. She's Ukrainian. And she looked at my old pictures and said, I know it sounds funny, but you're so much more warmer than they come off in these pictures. I want to take some lifestyle pictures, doing what you like to do and just being you. And I was like, you don't want me to wear suits? <laughs> That's my clients and all that. She said, I want you to be you for this shoot. So she said, what do you like to do? I said, oh, I like to make real big salads and make them look pretty. She said, why don't you bring some vegetables? I said, bring vegetables to the shoot. So of course, me being over the top, I bought a whole lot of them. <laughs> I'm telling you this story for a reason because it's going to go somewhere. And my profile picture will tell you. I was holding this big bag of food and she just started snapping pictures. I said, I'm not ready yet. She snapped a picture, snapped a picture, and snapped a picture. That's my profile pic on everything. Okay. And she said, I think we found that salad lady. I said, oh my gosh, this is crazy. She says it. Then a copy editor slash branding gal that I've been working with for years, she was like, that's great. I said, can we rebrand me to be that salad lady? Said, this is insane. What did I get all these degrees for? That's exactly <laughs> why I got the degrees. <laughs> This is insane. What are we going to do? She says, we're going to rebrand the site. It's going to be more of a recipe blog. Lifestyle. Lifestyle, a salad-centric approach to healthy living. Life is a salad. If you think about everything we do, all the layers of wellness, everything is like a layer of salad, right? So I use these salads to teach people how to live well in different ways. So it's not just about salad making. It's a lifestyle. So I'm just talking about this, right? Christmas comes and I get because Woody is my biggest critic. He's my husband, but he's my biggest critic. <laughs> okay. And if he thinks something is off, he will say that is the most insane thing I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. I open my big box for Christmas in this big, beautiful wooden salad bowl. Mm -hmm. 
And I got excited like he bought me a Louis. I got excited like it was diamond earrings. I was like, oh my gosh, imagine what I can build with this bowl. And I knew it. I literally dropped all the projects I was working on, not on purpose. COVID kind of dropped them for me. <laughs> Everyone cut back on their budget. So it helped. If it were not for COVID, I would have been stuck in a bunch of contracts doing the same stuff I do and really not having fun in life. So I really, at the point of getting that salad bowl and all this feedback from the different people in my life, including my mentors who are biochemists, PhDs in biochemists, PhDs in Kines, PhDs, older women, they were like, what the hell took you so long? You've been making salads for us for years. I was like, are you not disappointed that I am not in academia anymore? Hell no. Excellent. That salad lady. And that what it went from 2020 feeling like this to 2021 launching in May. Okay. As a recipe blog in sight, but also ambitions of products, salad dressings, which is still in the running and really education outreach. So I do a lot of seminars and I ended up in a ton of seminars virtually. So I got so many classes and it was funny. I used to have my assistant say, is it for Nina or that salad lady? They would say, we want that salad lady. I'm like, we want that. I'm getting more contracts as that salad lady than I got as Nina. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of took off. And you know what? It feels so normal that it almost feels criminal to be this happy because I like to do. I'm not going to lie. It's not happy all the time. Sometimes I don't want to eat my own salad. I'm always in demand with salads. And sometimes I'm not eating this today. (laughs) But, you know, it's so much fun. And what happened is I had the young folks working with me. TikTok was not in the plan. And I had the young folks kind of saying, you know, you will really be good on TikTok. And I was like, what in the world do you do on TikTok? You just keep doing videos and let us put them together. Yeah. (laughs) Take a video holding a bowl of lettuce and then take another video smiling this way. And I'll be like, okay. And you know, and then 300,000 views, 500,000. What are you looking at? Me smiling at a salad to music? (laughs) And that happened. And Instagram, which is really weird. I have to say something funny, too, in the middle of this. My following was didn't even really look like me. You would expect that my following would be a lot of Black folks. It wasn't. I have a very Oprah-esque following. Mm-hmm. It was not, don't laugh at this because it ain't funny. My following picked up with people who look like me when I posted a watermelon salad. <laughs> <laughs> Blew up. Blew up. I said, see? (laughs) (laughs) Well. I said, well. And the next boost came with a collard green salad. No lie. But you know what? We are a people of people. When I told people they could eat raw collard greens, they trusted me. Okay. So that's why I like the education. The education. Because a lot of people with salads think that they can put any and everything in a set and it's healthy and it's not always. I think the thing that I love most about the brand, it's a very non-judgmental brand. Mm-hmm. It's a very welcoming and inviting brand. We praise food. We like food. We eat food. We don't want it to be, ooh, I'm eating healthy. We want it to be, ooh, I'm craving that. Mm-hmm. And that is how the salads are. They're not just cold salads either. Some of them are hot. But really, it's not teaching you how to eat salads. Because again, a lot of people say things like, well, I don't like salads or I don't like cold food. I'm like, no, we're taking a salad-centric approach to eating. It's a bowl. Yeah. It's a bowl. Just as you would throw layers of lettuce and whatever, even lettuce salads, whatever you throw in a bowl, you can do it with cooked foods too. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I made a salad-centric version of red beans and rice. Went crazy. Because I basically put... 10 vegetables in it, red beans and rice, Cajun-style red beans and rice with peppers, carrots, celery, onion, kale, all kinds of things that you don't normally think about. And the main premise, I remember I said it off the top of my, I was, you know, you're going through that branding process and, you know, what's your slogan? What is your slogan? And it came to me so quick. Every bowl is an opportunity to build a new layer of wellness. Every bowl is an opportunity. So whenever you eat, that's really what that salad is all about. When you eat, just think. Hmm. Sometimes you don't even have to act, but the fact that you're just thinking about it, 
when you go to that restaurant, have I had something colorful today? Have I had a protein today? Have I had a fat today? You might still decide to eat a certain way, and that's fine. But it may make the difference between you getting a pizza with sausage and a pizza with sausage, pepper, spinach, broccoli, mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite recipe, bowl, salad? Funny you should say okay, that. Okay. <laughs> it used to be my ultimate salad bowl, which is actually the bowl that gave me the name. That's what I call it. That's where you'll find it. It's the ultimate salad bowl. Lately, it's become the cob salad. I don't know why. It's such a simple salad, but I've just been having a lot of fun with it with different dressings, different grains. Uh, I make all my own dressings, and we have dressings on the site. That's com is your Bible. Okay. I'm going to check it out. <laughs> oh, gosh. If you haven't, please do. It's not only salads, but it's also dressings and toppers. So perfect example, I had someone, it was such the coolest thing. She emailed me a physician. She was a physician and she was like, I've been browsing sites looking for how to cook tofu and I ran into your site. She stumbled upon a tofu recipe I had and then discovered the other toppers, chickpeas, marinated collard greens raw. And so she ended up sending me a picture of something where she basically, she didn't take a recipe. She took all the toppers and put them together in a bowl. Okay. And that's how I want people to use it. Use it as a resource. And what ultimately happens, I don't know if you even looked, but we share people's bowls on Instagram. So it's a whole highlight section of your bowls. Where it's people sending us bowls and videos of things that they created. Some of them on our recipes. Some of them, it's just them being creative. But that's really the goal to just motivate and inspire people to do something they otherwise wouldn't do. That's why I said I have a hard time saying what my favorite is, but I like to eat. (laughs) My favorite, you know, it's weird. (laughs) I go in phases. Ask me this next month and it's something else. But right now, I've been on a cop kick. Okay, okay, okay. I've really been on a cop kick. Can you share some simple recipes, my listeners? Uh, Maybe one or two? Yeah. The cob salad. Let me throw this out there. (laughs) So this is really cool because actually I'm in the middle of a a segment for that. I'm actually going to create a vegan version of the cob. Wonderful. And that's classic. So I already have a classic cob. I like the cob salad because it represents some of everything you want in your bowl. So it's not the cob because if you think about cob, think about the acronym EAT COB. This is why I'm sharing it with you. EAT COB. Okay. Egg avocado, tomato, eat, cob, chicken, onions, bacon, and blue cheese. Those don't sound so healthy to some people. The point is, you think about it, you want some complete protein in it. You want some veggies. You want some fruits. So you want a fat. So think about it in the context of what's in the bowl, the type of food in the bowl, not necessarily the ingredients in the bowl themselves. So egg, in spite of popular belief, it is a very healthy food. Yes, it is. Here's the thing. It's not just protein. It's also, it contains all four of the fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K. All four. No, The yolk, the yolk, which is often shunned. No other food in the world has all four. Hmm. Okay, I didn't know that. Yes, and that's the thing. A lot of times we spend so much time shunning foods that we never really get to know foods. And oftentimes we're shunning it because of the way we eat it and the way we combine it and what we do with it. This is something else we teach. So I want you to think about egg as not only a source of quality protein, but think about it as a source of those fat-soluble vitamins too. So the egg in the eat cob should be, if you're going to substitute it, substitute it for something that's as valuable as it is. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Avocado speaks for itself. It's just a wonderful food. It is. That's it is. the egg. So use that. If you don't like it, try it again. Yeah. It's worth eating. It depends. Sometimes you get good avocado. You got to pick a good avocado. Oh, that's a whole nother story. (laughs) Someone just, I just got a request because I always have beautiful avocados. And I think people think that I go through, like, I keep cutting them until I find the perfect one. Someone said that you just keep cutting them until you find a good one. I'm like, no, I kind of mess with the art of that. So someone asked me to uh, do a video saying, how do you pick avocados like you do? Just do a video on that. I'm going to do that video because it is a trick to it and they turn out perfect every time. So that's definitely one. 
tomato is a food that we all should be eating. That's in the cop salad as well. Tomato is a fruit, even though we treat it as a vegetable, it is a fruit, but it contains a specific carotenoid called lycopene, right? And it is beneficial for skin health, heart health, cancer prevention. I'm funny with cancer prevention because cancer can happen, (laughs) but it definitely contains carotenoids that help fight. Mm -hmm. And then you have chicken. That's the pure protein, right? Also has B vitamins and other nutrients, but When you think of the chicken part of the Cobb salad, think about it as a protein. You can make it seafood, it could be salmon, it could be tilapia, whatever. Just think protein. Onion, that's a no-brainer. Red, the best of the bunch because you're getting some added nutrients in there. Getting some additional plant-based nutrients in there, compounds, with the red because of the color. Then you got bacon. It just makes things taste good. It just makes everything taste better. Even though it's shunned a lot, a lot of times it's how we choose to eat bacon. It's not meant to be a main course. It's meant to be a condiment. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to add it like we add salt, a small amount. That is one of the reasons why I actually have, and I pick turkey specifically because a lot of people like substituting because they don't eat pork. A lot of people don't eat pork these days. But we have a turkey bacon bits recipe at thatsaladlady.com that talks all about bacon, how to choose it, how to be less guilty if you feel guilty. And, uh, you know, you can really do it with any type of bacon. But in spite of popular belief, pork bacon is actually the healthiest of them all. Believe it or not, it has more nutrients than them all, even though it's pork. So it makes things taste good. You get a little bit of protein from it. You use it in a sensible amount and you're fine. And that's the same thing for the final B, which is blue cheese. Okay. That's a rich source of protein. You're getting calcium in there. You're getting some probiotics. Just sprinkle it on. Just sprinkle it on. I'm going to tell you, I have seen people take my salad recipes. I have someone who I am very close to who does this. He will know I'm talking about him. He will take my recipe and just go off and put what he likes in it the most. I have seen him make, this is not my husband. It's another friend. (laughs) I have seen him make the Cobb salad and all I see is bacon and blue cheese. I I didn't tell you to do that. (laughs) I didn't say do that. That's not a Cobb salad. (laughs) That's funny. So one of the things we do with that recipe is encourage you to use the quote unquote bad stuff that you think is bad, you perceive as bad, because we, again, we don't judge foods. We don't judge foods. Foods that you perceive as bad, you use those in sensible amounts. Yeah. The combination of flavors in that salad are unbelievable, especially when you use a quality dressing, which is a big deal. Dressings can ruin an otherwise. They really can. Mm-hmm. They can. I always encourage people. One of is a couple of tricks. One, make your dressing at home. It's really easier than you think. It's so easy. We have dressings at thatsaladlady.com. If you choose to get another dressing, just watch that ingredients list. Those oils will be in (laughs) on those ingredients lists. So you definitely want quality oils in there. But again, I recommend making it at home because it's just so much easier to shake something up. Use a quality dressing. Use it to season the greens. And we don't want to saturate salads with them. When you do that and use those other ingredients in sensible amounts and focus on the leafy greens and the tomatoes and the good stuff that comes in there, And then I always say that stuff is like, those are the main actors in a bowl. Make those the main actors and make everything else a supporting actor. That includes the protein because we can overdo it on everything. And that recipe is at thatsaladlady.com. So your users and listeners don't even need to remember it. And they can get some of your salad dressing too if they don't want to make it home. Everything. Literally go to thatsaladlady.com. And just click through, aside from those recipes, you're also getting good, simple tips and strategies for healthy living in general. Salad-centric approaches to healthy living. So definitely, I recommend it. Everything is there. So part of my podcast is to have a guest who've overcome obstacles to make it to their finish line. You talked about some. Can you just tell me about an obstacle that you've had to overcome in life, whether it be work-related, fitness-related, just in general? I will have to say the biggest obstacle, which I still struggle with, but knowing that I actually have anxiety and accepting that I have anxiety, 
I actually have, and I don't mind sharing because I've talked about it, diagnosed OCD. We all say that, oh, you know, someone had, I'm OCD, I claim, no, I have it. (laughs) And a part of, it's something that I've actually had since I was a child, but I was diagnosed as an adult. And one of the things with anxiety, it's a form of anxiety. Basically, it's a manifestation of anxiety. And it's always been a challenge because the lack of control, that's what it is. You want to control something. And oftentimes, whether it be cleaning or excessive moving things around, different manifestations of OCD is really trying to control something when you can't control other things in your life. My biggest challenge because of that, it was linked to that, was were the miscarriages I had. I had uh, six miscarriages leading from my oldest to my youngest. And they took me into a deep, dark depression. And most of it was because I could not pinpoint a problem Mm -hmm. and I couldn't control it. Mm -hmm. I've always been able to control things with exercise and eating. And I could always flip the switch and change it. Even the school, you know, I've always been able to control that. Mm -hmm. School has always been stable. Study, get the grades. Some kind of control. Yeah. That, with every miscarriage, it took something extra out of me. It took a little something out of me. I say it's the biggest challenge I overcome because one, by the time I had the fifth one, I stopped blaming myself. Well, good, because it's not your fault. And a lot of women blame themselves. Yeah. I kept saying, it has to be something I'm doing. And it started affecting everything. It affected work. It affected marriage life. It affected the son that I already had. At number five, it it really didn't hit me as hard. Even though I had one, I was able to say, you know what? This is something that's beyond my control. I cannot control this. So I just have to move on. And I also realized that in the midst of trying to have more children, I stopped living. Mm -hmm. Like I started just focusing on that and nothing else. Mm-hmm. At some point, I just said, you know what? I'm going to live moment to moment. This is something that I thought could happen and it can happen. I started to be more present in life. Mm-hmm. I started to run more. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I had even thought about snoring out there. Well, maybe it's affecting my reproductive health. You know, I, I started thinking about everything. And I just started running like a crazy woman. And I had. I have to honestly tell you, in 2018, I had so much fun. I had contracts that I enjoy. I was running all these races here in a new place in Atlanta. And I got pregnant in 2019. (laughs) And and kept it. So I said, whatever happened, I remember telling myself, whether or not this pregnancy is viable, it's changed me. I'm changed. Okay. Okay. Because now, since then, I've learned to be more present in everything I do. And that was an obstacle that was a decade plus in the making. I mean, it was continuous and was continuous obstacle that sometimes I, I wasn't even aware of how it was affecting me. And only when I was able to do that, was I able to even pivot and accept it. Like even accept the pivot I made in my career because it was big. Even now... A lot of people know me as that salad lady, and they don't know that I have the background I have. So even the trolls are funny because they'll say, you influencers think you know everything. You're just a salad making lady. Like, yeah, I don't know anything about nutrition at all. I know nothing. You're like, I have a PhD. No, (laughs) it's fun. That's why I said I don't really use the, it's fun because it's fun watching people have full blown conversations with themselves about me. And, you know, and I'm not playing with you. I'm able to apply everything that happened in my life, good and bad, to the way I reach people. Being accepting all the way down to when people say I was bad this weekend when they ate. No, you weren't bad. You were living. Everything isn't bad. We are so taught to judge ourselves and Mm -hmm. just judge each other, you know, and it's just one of those things where it's like, I always say this, if you focus on what you can't have from the standpoint of eating, from the standpoint of life, focus on what you can have, what you can do. Mm -hmm. If you focus on that, you really can't say can't that much. Yeah. And you're happy. 
regardless. Yes, you're happy. <laughs> but it's like, I feel like we're taught to be in some perpetual state of miserable. Social media doesn't help. That's why, honestly, outside of outreach for that salad lady, I ain't never on there. <laughs> I'm not on there. You know, I just, it's just one of those things. I'm like, I don't need the energy sometimes. You know, there's so much going on in the world that you just don't. And even from the standpoint of overcoming obstacles, it's one of the reasons why it wasn't the kind of chain of events that I wanted, but it was a chain of events that I needed because I'm even more present with my very spoiled three-year-old (laughs) because I appreciate him. I don't just appreciate it. I don't think we appreciate the miracle of having a baby. Yeah, it really is. Every pregnancy is a miracle. But, you know, a lot of times we come into life. I remember saying, I'm going to have three kids. I'm going to be two boys and a girl. It's just like, this is not happening the way it was supposed to happen. <laughs> I guess my answer to that question is loaded. <laughs> a lot of obvious. <laughs> But that one particular obstacle, I honestly can say my present day obstacle. I could tell you that it was growing up in Inglewood on the south side of Chicago or that my house burned down when I was 15. Oh. Interesting. Those were not the obstacles I brought up first. Mm. One more question. If a present day Nina or Dr. Franklin could go back and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give yourself? Don't worry about the money. Just do what you love. Hmm. Okay. That's really cliche, but I'm so serious. I have to share this story before I go because it applies to that. I still get mad at my mother for it. Now, when I was young, I used to take clay, play doh, mm-hmm. and I learned how to mix play doh and make all these different colors outside of just the colors that they would have mixed purple and red or mixed red and brown and get purple. What was it? Mixed purple. One of those. Got all of them. You know, you would get these. Yeah, it was purple and red and get brown. Mm -hmm. I would make food models for my Barbie dolls. So you would come and Barbie would have a burger with fries. Okay. (laughs) And I went all the way down to taking the white pieces and making sesame seeds, taking the white clay and making sesame seeds for the bun. So I've had a love for food clearly for a long time because I would say the stuff doesn't really look like it looks. I often think about if, my parents had really, because they used to say, is this child doing? She's been in there for five hours making clay food. (laughs) And I would do this all day. And it was interesting because as I got older, as that salad lady evolved, my older sister said, Nina, you've been doing this forever. Do you remember the clay? And I, she was like, why did she stop doing that? It was so good that they wanted to sell the stuff to play though, to see if they would do a contract with me. And I was like seven years old. My house burned down, so we have no pictures of my models because we lost all our pictures in the fire. But it had my house burned down when I was 15, but they had pictures, loads of Polaroids of me with these different Play-Doh models. And I think about it, and that's exactly what I'm doing now. It's just a different kind of food. And so if I could go back and tell my younger stuff, I would have just said, stick with it. Be a food artist. But at the same time, if I told myself that, if I So it's hard. It's a hard question. Because if I did that, I wouldn't have got a PhD. I wouldn't have done any of this that actually made the brand better. Okay. Well, God knows. And I think that's why that question is so interesting. Because you tell yourself, younger self, to do something. And they somehow do it. And then your whole life is different. <laughs> if that was possible, we would just change the trajectory of our whole life. So I guess the unknown is kind of nice. So if I'm going to switch it. I will tell my younger self, don't worry about it. Just, just live. It'll, it'll work out. <laughs> yes. It will. Well, where can my listeners find you? I'll put all your links. Thatsaladlady.com is the main website. So make sure you subscribe on there uh, for the newsletter. Uh, that Salad Lady on Facebook. That Salad Lady on Pinterest, Twitter, TikTok. TikTok is an alter ego. That one's really fun. Instagram too. Instagram is that.salad.lady, but you put up that salad lady, it'll show up. YouTube, it's like the biggest project now because, again, it's like the university, long-form videos. And in these video segments, I'm not only building bowls, but also really educating ingredient by ingredient, which is also what we do at thatsaladlady.com. But there's really long-form content on YouTube 
a lot of time and energy goes into it. Everyone is like a lecture. See, I'm merging my academic background with this love for salad making on there. So definitely subscribe there because there's a lot of fun stuff happening on there. For sure. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I know you got too many things to do this weekend. <laughs> That wraps up this episode of Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you already haven't, please download Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast on Apple, Spotify, or however you listen to your favorite podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or possible show topics, Please email Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, OLB, Omaha Love Brown. Again, that's Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, Omaha Love Brown at gmail.com. I also can be reached via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Handle We Life, We Love. OUI Life, OUI Love. Thank you, and please tune in again. <laughs>